0: Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And we are back after our hiatus in August. Uh, I hope you enjoyed those replayed author interviews we did. I actually heard from quite, quite a few people who really actually enjoyed the revisiting of some of those conversations, particularly the ones I heard about the most were the conversations about time and the one about our perception were the two I heard the most about. Um, but a lot of people saying like, yeah, you know, I've listened to every- the entire show from the very beginning and I had no recollection of these conversations. <laughs> so <laughs> so that's good. That's good. I, for me personally, I actually even re-listened to them and enjoyed it. Hearing their thoughts, you know, almost like they're brand new thoughts to me. So cool. yeah, but well, T- yeah, those were some good ones. Yeah, but Tiffany and I are back in the office. And if you've been with us on Patreon, you have been getting an update on where we've been and what we've been doing. But those of you on the main show have not. And so today we're going to sort of do a we're back, what happened, and especially tackling mm-hmm. the question of after a vacation, what is it like to come home again? And uh, yeah, so we'll get to it. So uh, maybe, Tiffany, give us a brief description of what you've been doing as far as your vacation time in August.
1: Right. Well, my mother and my stepfather have been in town. They're they are back in the States now. But they were here in Rome for two weeks. Well, they were here in Italy for two weeks, I should say. And the second week of that, eight days, actually, eight nights, we, uh, and by we, I mean uh, them and Aurelio and myself and Claudio, when he could get away from work, about half of the nights, we went out into the countryside, specifically near a lake in the Viterbo province of Lazio. So the next province to the north from where Rome is, about an hour away by car. But, you know, really, really different landscape and really different feeling. I mean, I don't know about Seattle, but my mom was saying for her in Arizona, you know, you can drive for 50 minutes, but the landscape doesn't change very much. And the general ambiance of the place, besides obviously getting out of the big city, doesn't really change that much. Whereas in Rome, we found that it really felt like another world, it kind of almost felt like we were maybe not another world. But you know, it felt Almost like we were somewhere in the middle of Tuscany, much, much more remote area than just being literally 50 minutes from Rome.
0: Mm.
1: Uh, And it was absolutely beautiful and relaxing, although we did do a lot of excursions and it was hotter than I expected. Unfortunately, there was a heat wave at the time. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, So a little bit cooler than Rome, but much cooler, but wonderful. Just a really great sort of getaway.
0: Yeah, were there any of your particular routines that you would say that you stopped doing while you were everything, there? everything.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All of my routines were have been have flown out the window since basically uh, I went to Belgium in the beginning of June. Um just getting back into them. I mean my my tea in the morning and my preferred breakfast of um, it sounds so boring, but it's what I like. <laughs> uh, c- cottage cheese with fresh fruit. Um, I don't know what it is about that that I just adore, mm-hmm. and so, um, that's about it. I mean, I really was going to bed super late, we were eating anything we, we sort of, you know, at least particularly me, I was eating anything that was like within reach. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah. I think these with the exception of you know when Claudio and I go out for dinner and Aurelio stays at my mother-in-law's with the exception of those I don't I think this is the first time that Aurelio has ever been away from Claudio Mm. uh, like that so um, he's been away from me because I went I spent two nights in Belgium and I went to the states for 10 days back in 2018 by myself but he hasn't spent uh, as much time away from claudio and he um although he spends more time with me on a daily basis because i work from home i pick him up from school i put him to bed i'd get him up in the morning you know he he hasn't experienced that like you know a whole day or two days without seeing his father and he missed him a lot like he cried
0: oh really oh
1: yeah yeah
0: that's cute yeah how was yeah. claudio and since he also hasn't been away from him
1: yeah it was hard for him too and in fact one of the days that he he didn't have the day off and wasn't planning to come up, he just came up for like two hours in the afternoon because he, <laughs> he, he just couldn't stay away, which totally surprised me because we'd been to Viterbo that day and I, I'd i actually been really stressed out about driving because you know, driving in Italy is always hard, but, you know, we've been in pretty small towns and in the country and it was pretty okay but Viterbo is like you know it's not a big city but it's definitely bigger than the little tiny hilltop medieval towns that we were passing through and parking was just much more complicated and as i w- we were leaving the city we got into a few incidents no accidents but just a few like you know me trying to get through this ridiculously narrow street that had cars parked illegally and you know my stepfather getting out and like gauging aurelia saying you're gonna scratch the car my mom freaking out you know and then (laughs) finally getting out onto the road and being on a one-way street they're going the wrong way i mean luckily i realized immediately but still uh and there were no cars coming but still like when you find yourself on a one-way road you're like uh (laughs) what do i do (laughs) how do i turn around so, um, it was really stressful for me to try to get out of that city and Claudio was calling me and sending me texts. And I was like, I just cannot look at my phone right now at all. And, um, my mom was driving, was just totally stressing me out. And so I just didn't even look at it. And then we drove back and of course it was Claudio telling me, Hey, I'm coming up. Are you guys on your way back to the house? Luckily, we were because we had planned to go to another place after Viterbo, but we were all too hot and tired. So we decided to go home and Mm -hmm. we pulled up at the house an hour later and or it was more like 25 minutes later. And there was his car. And I was like, oh, nice!" (laughs) I had no idea he was coming over, but he had called me. I just had not answered
0: <laughs> yeah well he's like in the pool already and
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I know he was sitting on the balcony because of course couldn't get in the house but um right but yeah yeah no it was it was great it was it was and I mentioned this much more in depth in the uh in a bonus episode that we you know that we put out a couple weeks ago it's hard to travel though with three generations with an eight-year-old um and eight-year-olds <laughs> and <Yeah>. me <laughs> so it's hard It's also hard to like gauge like what do people want to do and what are people just saying okay to because they think you want to do it and what does the kid want to do and what are the, you know, it's just, it's hard. It's hard.
0: Well, and what is the dynamic in the family? Like, let's say hypothetically that there was something that you and Aurelio really wanted to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Would your mom and your stepfather be the kinds of people that would be like, you know what, today I'm tired, I'm going to just stay home?
1: Yeah, I think they are. I think they are the people who the kind of people who would say that. But the truth is, they have more energy than we do. Um, I don't even know. How it's possible, but like even when we were in Rome, the four of us with Aurelio and we were walking around one day and they're way ahead of us. I'm like, Oh, 80 year olds, th- slow down! Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> we can't keep up with you. So they're very, very active and they're very energetic. And I almost would have been happy more often than not just hanging out at the house, relaxing, going for a swim, reading. Uh, but my mom, of course, every morning, what are we doing today? Where are we going today? You know, so she just she she doesn't like to be um she doesn't like to be still, but you know she she will like one thing is enough. You know what I mean? Like one major outing in the morning, and then lunch, mm. and then she's ready to relax. So that's good because
0: yeah. I definitely did not want to be out all day every day. Well, and since we've talked about on the show the the one of the hazards of being an expat is that you are often living very far away from your family. She was there for quite a long time this time. How was it for you to say goodbye to her when it finally came to an end?
1: I mean, it's always hard, as you know, of course, to say goodbye to your family when you don't see them very often. And for Aurelio, I think he out of, out of all of us suffers the most. He really, really misses both of them when they leave or when we leave. But I mean, I honestly, not to sound cruel, not cruel, not to sound cold, but I'm used to it. I'm just, I'm just quite frankly used to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think my mom is too. Really, she just, you know, okay, I love you, and you know, that's it. You know, he just leaves, no tears. Yeah, really. I mean, there have been there have been a few occasions when I may have cried, but it's pretty rare.
0: Mm-hmm. And then once you were back home how did you feel? Was it like relief? Was it a bit of a letdown to think my vacation's over? You know, like, what was your experience coming back? I honestly
1: am always relieved when I get home. Always. I think like the only the only exception I can imagine would be like a really short, really relaxing trip where I'm in some like on some tropical. I, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of. Because I find travel. I love to travel, but I, I find it exhausting usually. And so, when I get back, I'm a kind of happy to have a you know to not have to be going constantly, and b I'm also happy to get back to work because I always have this nagging feeling that I am behind whenever I go on vacation. Because, like you, like many of our listeners, I'm sure, like many people in general, when you are self-employed or you know whatever a freelancer or even even if you are employed many jobs it's not like your job stops when you're not there it's just your, your work starts to back up so whenever I'm on vacation I always have that feeling of like okay this is great I'm enjoying it but when I get back I'm gonna have to do a whole bunch of stuff and I just kind of can't wait to sort of at least start chipping away at it and start getting some of that stuff done so I can I cannot be stressed
0: <laughs> I feel like you're marching toward it Some sort of progress. Yeah,
1: And I mean, I am the third reason is I am a bit of a homebody. And I know that sounds crazy for someone who loves to travel and someone like an expat. But I but I have I've come to the terms with the fact that there is a big part of me that is a homebody and that really likes to, you know, I savor certain things about my home life and I and I kind of miss them when I'm away.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. It's interesting, though, because I have found that more often than not, it depends, it totally depends on what it is that I'm in the middle of working on, I think. But generally speaking, if I'm away, I'm glad to be away. Like, I don't know, I like that kind of constant movement in, in waking up every day and being like, I'm going to see a bunch of new stuff today. And Sometimes I when I get home whether I mean to or not I feel the, the letdown of being back. And so while I'm gone there will be things that I'll be looking forward to upon returning home like there will be people I've missed that I'm looking forward to talking to or you know and I now that I have these two wacky cats that have become a major part of my life since the pandemic and we were all locked in together forever you know, I worry about are they doing okay when I'm gone? Because oftentimes they're like slightly alone. You know, they're like on auto feeders and my parents might be stopping by like every three days. So I have that kind of nagging like thing that I think everybody who has a pet has. That's like, I hope the pet's doing okay. You know, I hope -hmm. hope they're not too lonely or it's little things like I don't know if you've ever, you've lived with cats before. And these are the first time I've ever lived with cats. But I've come to realize that at least these two are extremely habitual. They have certain routines that they want to follow in a day. And some of that is like, we eat breakfast, and then Katie opens the window, and we get to sit in the window and get a little fresh air, you know. And, And when I'm away, I'm very aware of the fact that they're not getting any fresh air. It's empathetic. Like, I feel bad. Like, they're just Trapped in the home. They're literally trapped in the house. There's nowhere they can go. But I mean, even that's kind of minor to the desire for adventure. So I don't know if that means that I'm kind of sick of being at my house. I think I am a little sick of being at my house post pandemic. I still love my house. I definitely have that forward momentum of not going out a ton. You know, it's harder for me to say yes to some things, I think. And I'm really trying to break that habit because truth of the matter is, is I am a little tired of being here all the time after being here all the time for a couple years, you know? Mm -hmm. It's almost like a stagnation of thinking. You ever have that where... If I'm moving and I'm seeing new things, I'm discovering new things all the time, it's like all of a sudden my thinking expands and improves and my curiosity expands and improves. And then I come back home and I can kind of keep that going. I mean, I definitely aim to keep that going in my day-to-day life. But something about the house after so much time at the house, if I don't watch out, it can really contract, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. very quickly. So... Yeah, the comfort of the routine versus the limitation of thought is, is certainly yeah. what I've been battling since I got back from my trip. That Yeah, and also tell us what you did on your trip. So Derek and I flew to Sitka, Alaska, and then we got on a small boat, a 1965 touring yacht, uh, which sounds very dramatic, but it's not like the yachts you're picturing when you think of like... Jeff Bezos and his new yacht or something like that. We're talking, <laughs> there was no helipad on There's there. There's no helipad. There's not like a 20 crew, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but yeah, so we got on this, this 1965 touring yacht, which if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know that this is very similar to a trip we took a couple years ago. In fact, it's exactly the same trip, but in reverse. Uh, so we went to Sitka, we got onto the Sea Star, which is what it's called, and took it down stopping a a few places along the way through the Inland Passage past Canada and back into Seattle. It took over a week at sea to get here. And, uh, And much of the time, we were only in like a port where you're wandering around a place. Well, we started in Sitka, obviously. So we wandered around Sitka and then we stopped in Ketchikan and spent an afternoon wandering around there slept every night on the boat, and uh, most nights we were just parked in a cove. If the boat wasn't continuously moving, which in the last three days, the when they're passing Canada, the boat doesn't stop. The, uh, the first mate, the captain, and then this trip we had another guy aboard that knew how to drive a boat, just were in like six-hour rotations. So for that 72 hours, the ship is just going. But other mm-hmm. than that, we're just parking in a cove every night, they shut all the generators off, so it's just dead quiet and we're the oh, only that's people wonderful We're the only people in the world. There were days where we might pass a ship or two, but most of the time we were just alone, particularly when you're going past Canada. You don't even see cabins or any other sign of life. There's no planes going overhead, which in itself Gosh. is an odd experience because we're so used to just hearing air traffic happening and then we didn't hear any when air you say traffic.
1: when you say going past canada yeah and you called it an inland passage so i'm picturing like inland like it's more like a river type
0: situation but am i wrong is it is it on the ocean where yes. exactly yes. does the ship go so Yeah. So it, the ship just continually drives past Canada to kind of avoid any of the immigration stuff if we were to stop in a town, because
1: oh, okay. we're not there
0: like planning to get off in Canada with our passports and this or that. So as long as they just keep going, it's kind so of like... you're
1: not a... inland when you're in it's, Canadian waters. It's
0: inland in the sense that It's protected water. So it's like off of the ocean, but there are pieces of land on either side of you for much of the time. But it's not like we're pulling into a Canadian port you know.
1: Okay, so, so long- what's the land on the other side?
0: I mean, it's, is like, it like, it's a- like a series of islands and peninsulas, like oh, the inland okay. passage. It's called that it's an it's a very famous thing that it's like I know, a lot I of, don't
1: know about it. So <laughs> I'm lot, ignorant
0: about this. A lot of boats take it because like when you're exposed to like open waters, the, the sailing is much rougher. So if you can be in these okay. passageways where there's land on either side of you, it's more protected.
1: Okay, well, that makes more sense when you say more like, islands? Because I was thinking like an actual passage that went through the country, like a river.
0: It has been, not been like forged by humans like the Suez Canal or something. It's, uh, okay. there's all kinds of waterways through this one area. Like there's just land and waterways all over the place. Like okay. if you were really to look at a map, yeah. And then you can just navigate in In and out, you know, there were certain times when we were exposed to the open ocean and the ship is rockier. And then you duck Mm -hmm. back in behind this land passage. And then it's all these straits that have different names, you know, all these coves that have different names. Like one night we spent the night in a cove, I believe that was called Lake Cove. (laughs) And it was well named because if you didn't know that you were doing what we were doing, it looked like we were parked on a lake you know, it looked hmm. like we were in the middle of the lake. There was something about the vegetation, about the way the logs were on the shoreline that made it look like you were just on a lake somewhere. Uh, hmm. Whereas other coves very much felt like this is part of the open ocean and a whale might come in while we're parked here, you know. Speaking of whales, I went to ask you, Yeah.
1: did you see any whales?
0: Oh, yeah. We saw lots and lots of whales. Lots of humpback whales in one day in particular, we ran into whale after whale after whale after whale. And what was so fun about it was that every encounter was different, like they were doing something different. So, you know, sometimes they would just be going along by the ship. And so you just see them kind of moving along in the water. Like one time there was a group of three of them that was just moving along together. Another time they were Doing the thing that you see on TV where they're like coming out of the water and slamming their bodies down to the side, or they're using their fins to smash the water. Oh, at one time we saw one that was laying on its back, obviously, and it was using its tail to slap the water for a really long time. I also encountered them for the first time doing something that I guess people who are actively at sea much of the time are very familiar with something that they call logging, which is where you see a whale but they appear like almost like a log in the water you can only see like the very back of their spine and every now and then when they breathe through the blowhole but otherwise they're just like a dark looking log and Hmm. they're just resting and apparently it's something that ships and stuff really need to watch out for because that's how they can hit them is because they look just like a piece of debris in the water and Hmm. we happened to be on the boat with a guy who had a drone with him and so when we had this whale that was just sitting beside us in logging position he flew the drone up over it and took a picture of it from above so that we could all see how huge this whale was like it was a giant whale and you could see just a tiny fraction of it above the water and so it was really neat to actually see the whole the whole body of what we were seeing from above and we That's also cool. saw a lot of otters A lot of sea otters, like hundreds of them. Oh, my gosh. And they call those rafts of otters because they're often like sitting together or holding on to each other. I was told it was kind of a mating season time for the otters. So they seemed especially playful. Like you would, (laughs) you know, they were like jumping around in the water together. You'd sometimes see one otter sitting on top of another otter and they'd be sort of bobbing along. That was really fun. And the other creature we saw was a Dal's porpoise, a group of those. It's kind of a black and white dolphin-shaped thing, although they're shorter. And they're Mm -hmm. by far the fastest sea creature I've ever seen with my own eyes. They were so fast in the water, and they're extremely playful. And so... Uh, Tracy who was the first mate on the boat and one of Derek's friends which is how we ended up doing these excursions in the first place she said well let's see if we can get them and she went to the helm like the big huge wooden wheel that they run the boat with and she just turned it arced the boat to the side and made a big circle around them while speeding the boat up and sure enough they picked right up onto the front of the boat so that they, they were racing alongside underneath the water right at the surface. And then all of a sudden, just as fast as they were there, they were just vanished. And I was reading about them later because they they stock guidebooks on the boat so that you can read about the things that you're seeing. And in the description of the doll's porpoise, it said, well known for wanting to play off the front of the boats of different boats only interested in the boat if it's going faster than seven knots if it's going slower they're like no thanks not fun enough (laughs) and that they're known for this disappearing behavior like they're there they're there they're there and then gone and i just thought that was so interesting that it's something like scientists had observed was that this is one of the traits they love to play and then they just back into the night you don't even see them like when we saw them we saw them moving along the surface when they disappeared we never spotted them again they were just gone from our lives but it was so cool to get to see them you know and then there's jellyfish and there's all sorts of cool (laughs) bird life and we did see a bear walking along the shoreline oh my gosh and we saw an eagle eating a fish which i think is a quintessential alaskan sight that you need to see (laughs) Uh, yeah, so nature-wise, it was incredible. It was incredible. Sounds like
1: it. And how many people were on board?
0: There were only nine people on board. It was very small. Nine
1: passengers or nine including no, the crew? No, nine
0: including everybody. Yeah, there wow. were five passengers and four crew members. So, wow. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. And like I mentioned on the bonus episode, you know, most of the time there's no internet. Most of the time your phone doesn't work. And so you really are just in this other world that's nature and experience and the books you brought along and the conversations you have with people on board. And that's it. It's like a life of just observation and movement. I mean, obviously for the crew, they've got a little bit more to do. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> they're in charge of things, but... For me as the passenger, you know, I have to be polite and I have to help maybe clean the dishes after dinner and maybe wash and dry them occasionally, but my main job is to just be there on the boat and watch the world go by. It's uh it's a different experience and one I think everybody should do. I actually I, Yeah, I
1: was just thinking that we should all do that at least once in our lives. Oh, yeah. I mean not particular not necessarily that particular trip, but an experience in which you are completely, I don't want to say isolated, but you know, what what you're saying that you just are living in the moment. I mean, I say that, but like, that's how we all used to travel. I mean, that's how it was.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's just how it was. Yeah. I mean, there before. was no cell phones before. I mean, now the cell phone, and even in an experience like that, you don't, you still have your phone a little bit of the time because it's, what does it become? It's become your watch and your photography, you know? And I don't, you know me, I don't take very many pictures and particularly I'm not going to try to use my phone to capture otters that are so far away that I -hmm. can see them through the binoculars very well, but my phone is going to just pick up a bunch of little black dots, you know, so I'm not, I'm not a like documented at all expense person, but even then, like you just still never get rid of the phone entirely because, you know, if you do want to take a picture, you have it it's funny because I actually mentioned this trip to a woman who's like one of those people like a hairdresser that you just see from time to time and so you get to know that person and I mentioned this trip to her and she thought it sounded like absolute hell total <laughs> hell <laughs> you know she not only found, and maybe some people some of you listening feel the same way like she could not imagine not having any internet or phone access she was like that's that alone sounds horrible she's like but I mean I'm a very active person the idea to her of being stuck on a boat where I mean, you could do jumping jacks and stuff, but you're not going anywhere. You know, you can walk around the boat, you can go up and down the stairs, but nobody's getting a lot of exercise. You're on a boat. You're in the middle of the ocean, you know? Yeah. She thought that that sounded just like an absolute prison. Not to mention the fact that we get on board and we don't, we did know the captain and we did know Tracy, Derek's friend, but you don't know who else you're going on this grand adventure with.
1: You know, you get on the boat
0: and you all meet each other and then you get home and you say goodbye and maybe never see these people again and you have this weird like right. shared adventure together and that also for her sounded just like a horrific uh risk to take so I I don't know it's probably not for everyone but from my own personal experience I would highly recommend if you can ever put yourself in such a circumstance to do it yeah I mean I
1: took a sailboat I mean, I didn't, I didn't sail the sailboat. I I helped, you know, but, um, it was a friend of a friend's sailboat. So it was three of us. It was the owner of the sailboat. It was the guy that I was seeing and me, it was the three of us. And we sailed from Phuket, Thailand down to I guess it was Kuala Lumpur. Like it was the end of Malaysia. Mm -hmm. So it was down the Straits of Malaga. And that was before the iPhone. Like that was before the smartphone. So, I mean, I had a cell phone, but I didn't use it. It was no good Mm -hmm. to me. It didn't even go on the internet. So, you know, even if there had been internet available my phone didn't you know i don't think anybody's did um and i think the boat had like some kind of a way to connect in case of emergencies but you know we we, we weren't using it there was no computer on board
0: mm-hmm. and
1: that was that was maybe i mean maybe the closest that i've experienced but it didn't seem that odd because I, you know i wasn't used to being connected to the internet all the time
0: right i know and that's what's so strange too is how quickly it's become like a thing.
1: Indispensable. Indispensable. Yeah. It's become indispensable. And I mean, it's it's gotten to the point where, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but like, you know, I try to put my phone in another room when I go to bed. So, you know, even if I'm, you know, going go to go and get in bed and read, and this is something that I've been trying to do for the past year, more or less. But this summer, I've really, like I said, let all my habits kind of go. And so I haven't been as good about, about doing that. And i have sort of been keeping my phone next to me and checking it first thing in the morning and all that you know stuff you're not supposed to do anyway I mean so often I like be lying in bed reading before going to bed and I get this thought some random factoid that I think I need to know yeah you know and it might be related to something I'm reading or it might be just some random thought that popped into my head like I must know who the 30 first president of the United States was, or, I mean, maybe not that weird, but, um, (laughs) you know, something like, Oh, who is that actor who played that? Or who is that? What is the name of such and such? And I feel like I got to grab my phone and I got to find out in this second, like, I cannot wait. I've got to know now that happened the other night. And I reached for my phone. I just reached like automatically without thinking Mm -hmm. because I had to find this information. I was like, you know what? First of all, your room phone is in the other room. Secondly, you don't need to know right now. You <laughs> yeah. do not need to know. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's just, it's annoying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, you know, it's funny because it, this is such a dumb conversation. But one night when some of us stayed up later and much of the people had gone to bed and some of us stayed up later and we're just... Sitting around chatting, and we got into a discussion. And granted, this is not something you could really look up on your phone anyway, but we got into a discussion about what would be the most masculine fruit. And we got into like such a <laughs> raging debate about whether or not a, any fruit could be a masculine fruit. And just sort of like trying to put funny labels on things that I mean, obviously, it makes no difference what a fruit, which fruit is more feminine, which fruit is more masculine. And then we were like, well, what fruit is the most muppety looking. And then we were like, well, what, <laughs> what vegetable is the most feminine? You know, and I mean, it just like these dumb discussion, it led to so much laughter because it was just an absurd discussion anyway. But then everybody had such strong opinions about, <laughs> about you know, no, no, that, that could never be a, a masculine fruit. And then we s- slowly like decided and Tiffany, you can tell me whether or not you agree, but we decided that probably the most masculine fruit was the plantain.
1: Okay. The plantain. <laughs> why
0: not a banana? I don't know why the banana ended up getting eliminated. The banana didn't even come onto the table until like midway through the debate. See, that would been my first thought. But then somehow the plantain rose to the <clears throat> top. I believe somehow a honeydew also got onto it. I don't know. It, it, it was, was actually with the gross. honeydew that Hate the whole honeydew. conversation got started because it was about whether or not you would eat a honeydew. We were originally talking about that and how like often when there's a mix of melons, there's like cantaloupe and honeydew and whether or not you eat around the honeydew. That's what led to the entire discussion. So the honeydew was like (laughs) one of the leaders into this discussion. But anyway, it's funny. I cannot stand honeydew. And if
1: it touches, (laughs) if it's in a fruit salad, I won't eat the fruit salad because it will taint the other
0: fruits
1: (laughs) with its disgusting flavor.
0: So you can see how this could end up leading to an hour-plus conversation when you have nothing else to do.
1: Especially if you have nothing else to do and you have nowhere to go and you can't get away. Yeah. And it
0: was (laughs) such a delight. It was such a delight. I mean, it was ridiculous. We left up the whiteboard because we got a little portable whiteboard that they had in a drawer. (laughs) <laughs> and left the whole diorama like not diorama uh chart like the diagram we, diagram <laughs> thank you that we had come up with and we left it out for everyone who had gone to bed to see and everyone's like most muppety fruit what's that supposed to mean you know
1: it's got to be the kiwi
0: oh that's a good right? one because it's
1: furry it's furry i would say kiwi is the most muppety fruit
0: all right noted <laughs> Well, we should probably leave it there. I have a lot more thoughts not on fruits, but on uh this kind of stuff. <laughs> but we can uh we can get to it in a future show or in a bonus episode. The one final thing though that I will say is that one thing that was kind of a delight about being up there is that things were in abundance in many places. And what I mean is you're going by days and days of of riding in a boat and all your passing our trees on hillsides, or the salmon were running so thick in Alaska, they were jumping out of the water, uh, or seeing hundreds of otters all hanging out together, or 40 whales in a day. And there was something about that that feeling of seeing things in abundance when so much of like what we talk about in the news, and it's all so catastrophic, it's about how we're losing everything with climate change and with, you know, the environmental degradations. And it's true, like, we are losing all these things. But it was also refreshing to know that, like, we are not losing everything. Not right Mm -hmm. now. Like, there is still this abundance in the world. And something about seeing it didn't change the reality, reality that we're all facing. But it felt so good to also say, like, look at these pristine places that are not destroyed. You know, that we're getting to witness right now. It was a real privilege. I will say that.
1: Wow. Sounds amazing.
0: All right. Well, we'll leave it there. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. If you love this show, support it. For as little as $5 every month, you get to hear two bonus episodes and even say hello during upcoming meetups online. That's every month for as little as $5. Visit the bittersweetlife.net and click support to explore ways to pitch in to keep this show you love on the air.